listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Oh, and it's a big Monday night. Big Monday night. Gateway Lounge is always an awesome place to watch a game, but the Kansas City Chiefs not only have a Monday night game, the Kansas City Chiefs have a Monday night game against the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, this is perhaps a preview of an AFC championship game, the two best teams in the NFL. And so this place is probably going to be packed in a little bit. And if you are a Chiefs fan or if you're just an NFL fan in Sioux Falls, this is a place where you got to come down. Every Sunday, I was here yesterday. It was uh, it was football porn, Matt Zimmer. It was football porn. All these awesome NFL games. I thought easily the the matchups that we had in week three were the it was the best week of matchups, especially those noon games so far. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm watching the Vikings and Titans, which was pretty blah until we got to the second half, which we'll get into. I look around and I've got the Rams and the Bills in kind of a shootout, big comeback. Uh, I'm watching Mitch Trubisky self-destruct and then Nick Foles take over. And we'll wonder if the Vikings should have gone after Nick Foles after he destroyed him in the 2017 championship game because he's taking over the Bears more than likely. And uh, we had the Raiders and Patriots on another one. I mean, it was just it was a smorgasbord. It was football porn. It was awesome. And uh, this is the best place in Sioux Falls to watch sports, watch the NFL. We thank Jackson and his crew, but it doesn't get any better than when the Chiefs are here. And I don't know if that, uh, I don't know if that's in your wheelhouse or not, Matt. If the Chiefs, the Chiefs. <laughs> Say that again. I said my idea of football porn is probably different than yours. It's nobody's listening anyway, and we're not going to lead with how bad the Vikings suck and what they should do about it. I think fans should just embrace it. Embrace the suck, because this could be a very enjoyable, terrible season in which the Vikings, yes, they don't even have to tank for Trevor. They're bad enough, I think, that they that they could still uh, play bad enough and not have to try to lose, and we'll get into that. And we'll also get into college football. Uh, we finally got... We finally got kind of Christmas morning. We got the schedule release for the Jackson Yotes, uh, mm-hmm. which which you could obviously speak to. He's Matt Zimmer of the Argus Leader. His uncle, Kim Nelson, already the all-time wins leader in high school football in South Dakota, got win number 300. So he certainly has uh, a legacy that's already been built while his career still goes, and he has maybe his best team ever. Uh, we, have, we have a lot to get to, Matt, but first of all, you're – your girlfriend, Jen, who's here and right behind us, asked me if I had a hair transplant. And the answer is, no, I'm wearing red. I'm wearing Chiefs colors. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Chiefs fan. And uh, I thought I'd wear basically a Patrick Mahomes hat. That's basically what I was doing oh, tonight. It's, uh, you know, my beloved um, mom, Barb, rest, rest in peace, bless her soul, got one of these hats where it's like a visor and it's hair coming out of it. And she just thought it was the funniest thing ever. She got that more for me a while ago. Gilbert likes to wear it more than I do. Was that when you first started going bald? Uh, yeah, it was not. Uh, it was. Oh, it was. <laughs> I was long gone, but I was still in. Not in denial, but still trying to do the best I could with the ball ho- bald hawk, you know, the reverse mohawk uh-huh. with my thinning hair and uh-huh. trying to do something with it. But uh, anyway, I, I don't have any. I don't have any other red ball caps. 
the, the red ball cap it's, to me has I was, been. I was going to say it's kind of hard to wear a red baseball cap these days. Yeah, for reasons we won't get into. It's just uh, <laughs> like as a Husker fan, I just don't buy red caps anymore. They've yeah. just kind of been destroyed the last few years. All right, so no, we're going to start with the Twins because the Major League Baseball playoffs. Here we are. They start uh, tomorrow. And the, the the Twins maybe have the best chance to be a World Series contender, I think, in the last 20 years of, of having playoff teams, which this is their eighth in 20 years. They had that dry spell in the 2010s, but now we're back to where we were in the 2000s, where they're kind of going every year. Not hard to go this year with eight teams in the d- deal. But would you agree that this is the best chance the Twins have had the, to win the World Series since 91? Um, boy, I don't know if I'd say that just based on, you know, the 2006 team had – at least before the playoffs started, you had the you know Johan Santana at the top of the rotation, Joe Nathan at the back of the bullpen, and they were supposed to have Francisco Liriano. Then he got hurt. Uh, you know the 2010 team I thought had a chance just because I didn't think the field was that great that year. Um, there have been you know we go on and on about the Twins always losing to the Yankees. A lot of times that's because the Yankees are just better than them. Of course. Uh, but there have been other times where that wasn't necessarily the case, and they still got beat and beaten soundly. Uh, I think anytime you're talking about a team that's lost 16 consecutive playoff games, literally yeah. 16 games in a row should in I, the playoffs. Yeah, should I even dare say World Series? I, yeah, I just don't think they've earned the right to say that, oh, this is their best. Win a game. You know, win a series, certainly, but win a game. But does this team have anything to do with those teams? Yes Only and no. Only last I mean, year's team that got swept I, I, by the Yankees. I was going to say, but, last year's team was, I think, you know, there was every reason to think they had it. They, they won 100 games. They had more home runs than any team in baseball history, and they didn't even really compete. I mean, the Yankees just spanked them in three straight games. Uh, that that to me was like I probably kind of felt going into last year's playoffs that okay, this is a different team. You know, it's not Ron Gardenhire anymore. It's Rocco Baldelli. You know, Nelson Cruz, Max Kepler. Those guys had nothing to do with the last you know however many losses to the Yankees, and then they went out and, and played every bit as bad, if not worse, than some of Gardy's teams did. So you start going, well, maybe this really is just sort of a thing. You know, what, whatever the reason for it is, they just can't beat these guys in the playoffs. They don't play that well against them in the regular season, for one thing. But the playoffs is obviously another. And then, you know, as I mentioned in a column I wrote today, you know, since, uh, in, like, in the 21st century, essentially, they're 3-23 and 23 in the playoffs since they won that first series against wow. Oakland. Now, that is 2-16 and 16 against the Yankees, but it's also 1-7 against other teams. They don't beat anybody in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, you know, there, there have been teams right. that were, you know, varying degrees of how, how good they were or how good of a shot they were supposed to have uh, to make it in the playoffs. But, you know, Johan Santana wasn't ever able to, to take them to a World Series. Maybe the best starting pitcher they've ever had. Uh, you know, <laughs> you go up and down the list, and, and like I said, different years had a, a different, you know, degree of difficulty depending on the opponent or whatever. Get back to your question. Uh, the nice thing is their first-round draw is the best draw they possibly could have got. They didn't get the number eight seed necessarily. Houston is the sixth seed, but they're the worst team in the playoffs. The only team with a losing record. Why is that? Losing record. They, they literally have the worst yeah, record. Yeah, because they did team. this weird seeding thing where it's like goes first place teams get the first yes, four and then second first, place first teams, three seeds. Yeah. And, so they're yeah. they're a sixth seed because they finished in second place, even though they're the eighth best team in the playoffs. Yeah. So the Twins get to play the worst team in the playoffs. They have home field advantage. Uh, the Astros no longer have Garrett Cole, and they don't have Justin Verlander. And on top of that, uh, it kind of looks like, now granted, 60 games is a small sample size, 
but it kind of looks like they're not as good when they don't have people banging on the trash cans in the dugout. <laughs> of course. Because all their uh, offensive statistics were notably down this year. Right, without the crowds of the game, you can't uh, hear banging on trash cans or any other right. uh, and, uh, audio so cues to they cheat. They certainly look like... You have to go back to good old-fashioned uh, sign-stealing or right. something. Uh, a g- one of my best friends lives in Houston and is a big Twins fan. And he was texting me yesterday. He's like, the Astros are terrible. This is it. Twins are going to sweep them. And I was like, well, you know, I'd love to think that. But again, 16 losses in a row. You know, that speaks for itself. So, yeah. uh, you know, am I glad they're not playing the Yankees? Yeah, I guess. Um, am I glad they're playing the worst team in the playoffs? Yeah. Do I think they're going to win this series? I don't know. They should. Oh. They certainly should. <laughs> but you're, you're, um, but it's, you're, it's a three-game series. You're, you know, I you're feel letting better. history get in your way. It's, well, and also, if it was a five-game series or a seven-game series, I'd feel a lot better about yeah. it. But in a three-game right. series, you can lose two or three to the worst team in baseball, okay, let they, alone a you know a 500 team. When do they potentially match up with the Yankees? Is that the next round? I'm not sure. It, I think it, it could be. Because we keep I, the seeds. What's their seed? The Twins are the three, and I think the Yankees are the yeah. five. So, no, I think that means the Yankees would play the uh, winner of the 1-8 if they won the 4-5. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so you could potentially meet the Yankees not in the American the League Championship yeah. Series, which will be in L.A. and San Diego, not in New York or Minnesota. And right. see, that's partly why I said this is the best chance the Twins have to win the World Series. It's partly because of that. Look, they don't have the home field advantage of the Metrodome anymore. That right. was a huge advantage, as yeah. we all know, for all the obvious reasons. The noise, the bounces, the fans blowing in and That's out. That's probably been uh, a factor in them yeah. not winning any playoff games uh, since 2010. Right. They don't have that. But these other teams that they're playing, especially the Yankees, if they play the Yankees or the Astros, they, they don't have these road games either. They don't have hostile crowds to deal with. And I think when you're a team and an organization and you're a player, even if you have nothing to do with those past teams, those 16 straight playoff losses, this history with the Yankees, even if you have nothing to do with it, you hear about it. Right. And I think if you go go to the Bronx and you have their crowd and in that stadium, what well, I think it might be it, it might play a factor. You're right, they've had just better teams and better pitching over the years. That's the main reason why it happens. But to put this pretty much in a bubble and uh, if you play in the championship series, you're out in California facing them, that can't it can't hurt. It, it can only help y- your favor in in and that I think trend. If, if, if the twins were to uh, beat the Astros, then beat whoever they play in the next round. And I think, by the way, the and divisional series is in San Diego and L.A. I don't know. They're well, somewhere else. Regardless, They're my, not my in point these is, home sites. if they were to make it all the way to the ALCS and then lose to the Yankees in the ALCS, um, that would s- still certainly sting, and it would imply that the, the Yankee curse or whatever is still alive and well. But I think that would be a successful season. That's a good place to start. When you've lost 16 fucking playoff games in a row, you know, <laughs> yeah. winning a series, let alone yeah. two series, right. that's a good place to start okay. and kind of breaking that curse or whatever and working towards okay. winning a World Series. All right, let's forget about all that fucking history and just what what do they have? They're equipped, obviously, with power. They're equipped with better pitching than they had last year. Is that for sure? I mean, it, it's, it's, Kenta Maeda has been outstanding but, all year long. Yes, of course. The, He's people always worry about not having an ace, not having an ace, and he doesn't you know, profile as your typical ace. Pitching but Pitched, like but he's pitched like one, all, yeah. for, literally from the entire from the start of the season to the end of the season. Yeah. Plus the bullpen. I mean, uh, I, I don't feel great about the bullpen. Well, last year in the in the Yankees sweeps, Yankees swept him th- three games last year. The bullpen itself. I mean, the starting pitching, sl- you know, slipped on the banana peel early, but fourteen runs and in fourteen innings for the bullpen. Right. This year's bullpen, third best bullpen ERA in the American League, three point five six, fifth best bullpen ERA for a Twins team since two thousand when they started going to the playoffs a lot. So I mean, that's that, that, that's and an your closer Taylor Rogers has had a terrible year. Okay, 
the backup yeah. closer, for lack of a better phrase. Sergio Romo pitched terrible the other night. Okay. I feel a little bit better about him than I do about Taylor Rogers. But yeah. those are kind of supposed to be your two veteran, you know, very back of the bullpen, ninth, tenth inning guys. They haven't been good. Uh, Trevor May has been good of late, but his ERA is over four for the season, I believe. Tyler Duffy's been by far their best relief pitcher. I feel pretty good about him. Uh, Tyler Clippard has been pretty good, the veteran free agent they brought in. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a good bullpen. Um, but again, this tw- I don't want to say this Twins team, but the Twins have had teams that had, I mean, in the early 2000s, their bullpen had Joe Nathan, Juan Rincon, J.C. Romero, Latroy Hawkins, Eddie Gordon, and all those guys. They had some loaded bullpens, and they still couldn't win a damn game. All right. So, you know... What what I feel good about for the Twins heading into this playoffs is the starting pitching has been pretty good. Kenta Maeda, you have to win game one. You have Maeda going against, I don't know if they're going to throw Granky or that would be my guess. You have to win that game. Uh, game two, you're coming back with Jose Barrios, who on some nights looks like a Cy Young candidate. On other nights, looks like your fifth starter. What are you going to get out of him? Wasn't he pitching pretty well in September, though? He had a pretty darn good September. He didn't pitch well mostly. in his most recent start, but yes, he's yes, been better mostly. in the second half of the year yeah. than the first. Yeah, but you're right. He's unpredictable. Uh, and, you know, you got uh, Michael Pineda's been pretty good since coming back from suspension. Yeah. Rich Hill's been very good, but he's 40 years old. He doesn't yeah. have a lot left in that arm. Right. He's not even uh, going to get a start in this first so series. You need that bullpen. You might need some long relief. What, is Caleb yeah. Thielbar on the postseason roster? I would assume so. I would assume so. When, are they, what is, when would what might we see him? Is it just... When they're leading big or trailing I mean, big? They've been tentatively moving him into more high leverage roles. Okay. I mean, they have essentially a, a big five, I guess you would call it, with Rogers, Romo, Duffy, yeah. May, and Clippard. Those are five veterans who are kind of the guys they trust. Uh, but because of the fact that some guys have struggled, some starters have struggled, Thielbar has you know, pitched more and more innings, and they're asking more and more of him. Uh, but is he at the level yet where you trust him the same way as those other five guys? I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, but he's he's got the job done most of the time he's been in there. About a week ago, was a week and a half ago, you wrote a big feature on Caleb Thielbar, mm-hmm. and that's just the rare guy who goes five years in between Major League Baseball stints. I mean, unbelievable what he's done. So if we could see him in the playoffs on a big stage, uh, it's, like yeah. that's icing on the cake. Basically. And it's especially cool for him because in his first turn through in the big leagues, that was when the Twins stunk. Yeah. Right. He didn't even sniff the postseason. Yeah, so right. this is a first for him coming back as a all of a sudden a 33-year-old veteran, uh, his first taste of the playoffs. And for those of you who don't know, we're talking about a uh, former Jackrabbit who still has a house in Brookings, married to a He's former... Augustana's pitching coach. Augustana's yeah. pitching coach, yeah. and he agreed to do that before he knew he was going to play this year and get called up to the Twins. Where did he get called up from? Because we didn't have an affiliated minor league ball was, this year. He was in their... Uh, summer camp thing whatever they okay. call it they're basically they have practice games at st paul that's yeah. where he was okay uh, but the cool thing about that story to belabor it but he insists he is still augustana's pitching coach like he didn't tell him like oh sorry i'm in the big leagues now forget it like he's like no that's still my job like he's all in on remaining augustana's pitching coach how does that happen well the baseball they, season they, is they, in january and february a, and when he, he's in he, spring training he'll be there in, for fall ball whenever the playoffs are over yeah he'll be there until spring training starts next year uh, they have a GA, Clay Collison, who's a former Augie pitcher, who basically is the assistant pitching coach when Caleb is there. And then when Caleb has to leave, he becomes essentially the interim pitching coach. Those two talk almost every day uh, on the phone, FaceTime, whatever. They're constantly working on stuff. And I mean, I think Caleb understands. And, and who knows? You know, if he ends up pitching in the big leagues for five more years, maybe he'll have to yeah. tell him, hey, this isn't going to work. Yeah. But I think he understands with what he's been through in his career, this could be over at any minute. 
Yeah. He doesn't want to give up a good job when he wants to get into coaching after yeah. his playing career is over to Fair. say, oh, I'm leaving for the big leagues. And then five minutes later, the Twins go, yeah, you're cut. He goes back to Augie, and they're like, oh, sorry, we already hired another pitching coach. So I kind of get it. And, it, and it, like I said, that makes for a really cool story. Augustana's yeah. pitching coach is an active major league pitcher. Yeah. We're talking about the Twins and their chances to go to the World Series or even just get out of one round of the playoffs after the Astros. I mean, let's just, we should mark that up as that's going to happen. You're right. Three game series, fluky things can happen. We're putting them in a bubble in the, or we're putting them in the vacuum of how good they are with the pieces that you need, need to have, do they have them or not to win a World Series when we're not really talking about the other teams. I mean, are there any 800-pound gorillas here that you're worried about? Obviously, the Yankees and their history and their powerful lineup. Um, I haven't watched a lot of baseball this year. You know, I'll be honest, kind of getting going here with the Twins in the playoffs. And I put out a poll, and I asked Twins fans, are you more or less engaged or excited about this than you normally would be Uh with the Twins in the playoffs? And overwhelmingly, people said uh, either more or about the same, Yeah. which I don't know. I mean, there are people like me who just kind of, they, they tuned out for a while. They never really tuned back in, but I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to watch some playoff baseball. I'm ready to mm-hmm. see what the Twins can do. Um, but well, when how, baseball can came you, back in July, yeah. we were in the you know, month three of the pandemic, and there had been no sports all through the spring. Yeah. I personally was desperate for Twins yeah. baseball. Okay. I watched that entire damn basketball tournament that Mike Don was playing in just because <laughs> I was so desperate for live sports. I was just easily checked out of sports. It might have had something to do with I lost a job in sports and I yeah, was fine with I kind of thought golfing, the same thing, but it didn't take long for me to be like, all right, yeah. I need something here. Okay. And uh, so I was, you know, couldn't have been more excited and I have missed probably fewer Twins games this summer than ever. And okay. granted, there were only 60 and, of and, them. And, but. and this doesn't feel like to you... Like if they win this, it's an asterisk. If they no. like, just say they win the World Series. No, it's not an asterisk because no. they why? Because they all have sixty game season. They're on the same conditions. In the same thing. It's okay. no different than nineteen eighty one or nineteen ninety five or any, any of these yeah. other years that were strike shortened or whatever. You know. Yeah, I mean, nobody. No, yeah, nobody goes back to the whoever won the World Series those years and yeah. goes, oh, they didn't deserve it. Right. I, mean, I look at other sports like. Uh, the Washington football team won the Super Bowl in 1987. That was the same year there was an NFL strike. Mm-hmm. Does anybody discredit them for that? Right. No. Does anybody discredit the Vikings for almost reaching that Super Bowl? Cause they had dropped a touchdown pass at the goal line with two minutes mm-hmm. left in Washington. Would, would the Vikings get an asterisk for going the to that Super Bowl? To because there were only like right. five or six games where right. all the starters played? No. To me, the only thing that's weird about it is not having fans. Yeah. You know, I don't care that it's a shortened season. There's always going to be... There, or I should say, there always have been shortened season. Yeah. You know, the NBA had a fifty-game season in what ninety-nine, two thousand. Yes, like that. and the Spurs won that—the first of five titles with Popovich and Tim Duncan. We kind of—that's that, kind of a legit team. Yeah, nobody. Like it's, yeah, nobody you know, oh, they only played fifty games count. instead of eighty-two. Yeah. And the fact that you have this extended playoff, whoever wins the thing is going to definitely have earned it. Yeah. Because they're going to have to win thirteen yeah. more games. That's yeah. half as many games as they had to win in the regular yeah. season, damn near, just to get there. And so. you don't have to go through the rigors of uh, big moments on the big stage. And hostile crowds, yeah. as we mentioned, but I, I that's think the, the same for everybody. And we get a true—it's—it's it's actually a true measurement of how good of a real team you really are. Yeah, the empty stadiums is what's been weird about it. Yeah. Um, I miss that ambiance, the sound. Uh, occasionally, you know, your your eyes wander to what's going on behind you as you're yeah. watching those games. Some something catches your eye in the crowd. Uh, the post game interviews are weird. Uh, the fact that the twins couldn't celebrate last night, yeah. you know, after they won, there was no champagne spraying celebration. You know, they had to just kind of shake everyone's hand and say congrats, guys, and and that was it. Uh, that was really that part actually really got to me. Like I, 
It is the very. Twins, the Twins lost the game to the Reds, but because the Cubs beat the White Sox, they clinched. Yeah. I mean, I don't usually watch the post game show because it's usually terrible. Um, but I, I stayed on there to watch it that time because I wanted to watch the players spray champagne. Hey, on the each Canaries other and, did it when they clinched the playoffs. Well, the, clearly they're able to do things that they can in the big leagues <laughs> on a variety of levels. But it does seem very Rocco Baldelli though to not have a big wild celebration. No, it was it was like forbidden for. I know, reasons. I know, they but it, it yeah. still seems very on on point with Kinda, Rocco Baldelli. Yeah. Just, but I mean, like it really. No I was flair. Like, oh, that sucks. Like I missed that. That's one yeah. of the fun things about yeah. watching your team. You know, because because again in baseball it's not as much of a deal now because the playoffs keep expanding, but for the longest time the reason you have a 162 game schedule and the reason clinching your division, winning your pennant, so to speak, has always been such a big deal, is because it takes 162 games to get it, yeah. and only a few teams made the playoffs, so that accomplishment in itself was such a big deal. Yeah. Um, so I, that part I missed, and you know, we talk about the, talked about this all the time on your show about how the one thing that makes baseball playoffs so special is how there's a game every night and the crowd gets so involved, the whole community for that week that that series is in town, you know, there's just a buzz throughout the entire yes. city. I can't like imagine- Like in Major League, right. like in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the bars the, are all at the bars the, watching the, the game. construction workers hugging the yeah. punk rockers, yes. that kind of thing, yes. yes. We're, we want, we were not, that's not gonna be, it's not gonna be like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how what the bar situation is like in Minneapolis, how, what to what degree they're open or whatever, yeah. but. Even if they are, like that's not. It's just not going to be the same when you don't have, like, a, on a normal season, you'd literally be able to hear the sounds at Target Field from you know, one O'Donovan's down there, you know, right. in downtown Minneapolis, you know, Glicks. Yeah, exactly. It won't be like that, and and that to me the is, saloon. Is, is the biggest thing that we're losing, that we're missing from it. But it, but does that change? You know, make make the players' accomplishments any less? No, it does not. Yeah. You can hear it all the way to the saloon. Never been to downtown Minneapolis? Try the saloon. See what happens. It'll be fun. <laughs> a lot of big baseball fans there. Maybe for different reasons than the other bars, but big baseball fans. So, by the way, speaking of bars and speaking of excitement, you might have heard the legendary, iconic Monday Night Football song in the background. Matt Zimmer and I are here at the Gateway Lounge. This podcast probably will go through the beginning of the Ravens-Chiefs game, which if we did the podcast tomorrow would be a fun game to talk about and go over because it could be the most fun we'll be having watching NFL football this year. Uh, this is the designated uh, unofficial Chiefs bar of Sioux Falls, but they have awesome food. They have twofers on Mondays, by the way. If you want to come down for Monday Night Football any Monday, uh, it's a great deal for Jack Daniels, Gibson's, Morgan's. Tito's, and Morgan's. Uh, they're twofers. And it's two for the price of one. That's kind of the point of twofers. People and know what so, twofers are, Jen. Yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we're just seeing more people file in. you got the Chiefs fans here. This is going to be fun. Uh, we're ready to be entertained. So I'll wrap up with the Twins this, because Lavelle Neal wrote a very, I thought, enlightening column about how what they have to do to win. And basically, they have to be more like the 2015 Royals. Now, first of all, the 2015 Royals, we were joking uh, going into the season before that, 2014, a as suffering Royals fans, me and my co-host in Lincoln, Nebraska at the time, which is Alex Gordon territory, it's Kansas City Royals territory. Kansas City Royals World Series champs. <laughs> before the season started, that was our, you know, it's like they'd been terrible for 20 years. Twins have not been terrible the last couple of years, but I think that they're so scarred in the playoffs that to talk about World Series seems like sacrilege unless you want to joke about, it. oh yeah, we're going to win the World Series this year. 
but what the Royals were able to do in 2014 and 2015, they had almost no power. But in the playoffs, they combine crazy idea, pitching, defense, and manufacturing runs, speed on the base pass, getting guys on the base, and then driving them in with timely hits. The Twins not only are not the behemoth, they were, they're pretty good. They're still fourth in Major League Baseball in home runs this year after setting the all-time record, 307 last year. They had 91 home runs. That's tied for fourth out of 30 teams. Pretty damn good. But what has not been there is their 18th and run scored. So they hit all these home runs, and they're, they're worse than average. They're below average with scoring runs. Uh, they're fourth in Major League Baseball, though, runs in scoring position. They hit some clutch hits when they've got guys in scoring position, but they've only scored 165 runs, 22nd, bottom 10, with runners in scoring position, which just means not enough guys right. are getting on. They're, relying on. they're basically relying on solo home runs too often, and that's... That I, you would think they would have to perk up here in the playoffs to have a chance. Is that well more disciplined? The problem with that basically. is you know there isn't a team with a lot of speed. I mean, is Byron Buxton even? I was going to mention that earlier. Yeah, we should have mentioned with, that a lot with the earlier. Twins, with the Twins' chances are Byron Buxton and Josh Donaldson, arguably their two best players. Are yeah. they going to be healthy for this series? Yeah. Uh, Donaldson reaggravated his calf. Buxton had a concussion. Sounds like they're going to play tomorrow, but you know we don't know. Uh, Buxton obviously is maybe the fastest player in baseball, but he's not a very good base stealer. Uh, Polanco, Kepler, they got some guys that can run, but this is not going to be the piranhas. I thought when you said that uh, the, the thinking was they have to be more like the 2014-2015 Royals, I thought what he meant by that was win the game in the first five, six innings. Because what I remember about those Royals teams was how dominant their bullpen was. They oh, only yeah. asked their starter to go five or six innings. Yes. Then they turned to that three-headed monster in the bullpen. I don't even remember the guy's names anymore. Greg Holland was one of them. Yes, you're right. Um, but they were like, hey, we can t- get a lead after six. It's yeah. over. Yes. And that's how they won games. Uh, can the Twins do that? I, not the way their bullpen's been pitching lately. I don't oh, think so. It's, it's, uh, if they're going to win this series, they have to be exactly what they've been through this regular season, and that is really good starting pitching at target field. Their team ERA at target field is under three. If they get three straight really good outings from their starters in this series, they will beat the Houston Astros. Okay. And now, I, once you move to the the bubbles or wherever it's going to be or whatever, then you have to hope that starting pitching can continue to, to maintain that outside of target field. But the greater thing is I know they haven't – you know, recreated the Bomba squad this year. The home runs were kind of there, but not that much. All those stats you just recited, that's still who they are. Yeah. That's what this team was built around. You know, the, part of the reason they didn't hit as many home runs this year is Mitch Garver and Josh Donaldson were hurt for most of the year. You know, some of the other guys were in and out of the lineup. They never really had their whole full lineup. And a lot of guys underachieved, in part because, you know, they were hurt, never in there, whatever. If the Twins are going to win. They have to be the same team they've been. They're going to have to hit home runs. They're going to be, I, I don't want to say station to station, but they're not going to win these games by suddenly being the piranhas. I, and I, and I didn't mean necessarily to be the piranhas. I know it's that's what I sounded like I meant. It's not so much the speed. It is, you know, they went five days in September in Chicago without scoring a run via a single, double, or triple. So it's not so much like, oh, they got to just be blazing the base pass. Get some singles, doubles, and triples. Don't rely mm-hmm. so much on a home run. Um, so, you know, Lavelle gave a good example. There was a third inning against Detroit last week. Polanco starts the inning by singling, steals second. Gonzalez, RBI single to drive him in. Jeffers comes up. Not that he'll be a factor, but... Uh, he a, might he, be the starting catcher the way Garver's been playing. True. Single, and then Gonzalez goes to third. Buxton comes up, RBI fielder's choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, stuff like that where, um, you know, just it, it, nothing wrong with home runs, but get 
get some singles, doubles, and triples, and score that way a little bit more often. And watch for this in the series. If the, in any series the Twins will be playing, uh, their on-base slugging percentage against right-handed pitching is much better than against left-handed pitching. They're yes. not very good against left-handers. So if the so if they're facing left-handed pitching. Bite your nails. It's going to be tough. But Buxton is like if I, 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 there is one instance. Like I said, I haven't watched much Twins baseball. I was watching the night Kenta Maeda had the no hitter going into the yep. ninth inning, and some clown came up. And I only say a clown because he had this opinion. I don't know the man personally, but he came up and he started talking to me. And um, I think I think Buxton might have gotten hurt that game, or they started talking about Buxton. But he's just like they should have gotten rid of Buxton. He's not worth it. He gets hurt too. I, what are the things people knock on Buxton? Basically, he's just too injury prone. He is brittle. And we yeah. all know that. Yeah. But to say, like, I was just like, dude, he's the most valuable player on that. When he's in, he's the most valuable player on the team. He turns singles into doubles. He he will get home from first base if you put if you knock it into the well, outfield. And this year, he's hit home run, about, about a 40 home run yeah. pace over a full season. And now he has power, yeah. which he's built like someone who should have power. Right. Plus the runs he saves in the outfield. We get these airtight playoff he, games. Are you kidding me? I'll, make a comparison from our era. I don't know how closely you followed baseball back then, but Eric Davis of the Cincinnati Reds. I remember him. Yeah, in the late 80s, early 90s, that blend of speed and power. Um, Eric Davis could have been the greatest player of all time if he could have stayed healthy. He had the same problem Byron Buxton did. There's one year he had 37 homers and 50 stolen bases, and he missed like 50 games that year. So that kind of goes to show you just how good that guy was. Byron Buxton is very much the same kind of guy. You're going to be much confident and happier to have that guy if it's a 3-3 game or the Twins are down by a run going into the ninth inning and he's part of the lineup. You know, that extra inning game they won this year where, because, you know, extra innings, it starts with the runner on second. Yes. They put Buxton on second. He gets to third and then scores on just, you know, I don't even, was it like a safety squeeze? I don't remember what it was. No, it was just a, yeah, it was just a, just beat out a ball no one just else a, was. Yeah, ex- yeah. that's and it. There was just a, just a grounder to short. Where, well, there was the one where he was the batter, where he just hit a routine grounder to short yeah. and beat it out. That's the one I was thinking. Yes. Yeah, there was that one, but then there was the other one where he was the base runner, and he scored on, I don't remember if it was like a, a bunt or a yeah. comebacker to the pitcher or something, but just, so. you know, a, a, he's the only player in baseball who I scores on that I'm play. I'm glad they stuck with him. Yeah. Uh, part of why they didn't stick with David Ortiz was he was injury prone when he was a twin as well. So, David Ortiz wasn't the number two overall pick in the draft. I don't think the Twins have ever – a lot of fans have been stupid and saying get rid of Buxton, but I don't think the Twins have ever been strongly considering bailing on I'm him. Glad, I'm glad they did. And he's, he's fun. He's, he's, he might, might be the most exciting player in baseball. Again, on their I don't team, watch, certainly. I don't watch enough baseball to know that, but I'm guessing he's one of the most exciting players in baseball. All right, that was a half hour on baseball here to start uh, the third edition of Nobody's Listening Anyway. John Gaskins, Matt Zimmer, and uh, – Lots are going to happen before we talk about the Twins again next week. Um, Their season could be the, over by then. That's true. Tr- that's true. Now, oh boy, somebody's trying to call me, and that's my husband, and we might be recording this on my phone. So, oh boy, I'm going to hear about that later. I had to hang up on are him. Are you still recording? Uh, yes, I am. So <laughs> maybe Good. people would have been. Oh, he's still, well, <laughs> he's here. Why are you? He's oh, he's because he was fucking with us. Okay, isn't that funny? <laughs> By the way, I'm about to eat my taco salad. Uh, is this, you think this is rude for me to eat uh, no. while we're on the what air? I think I'm going to do all the talking so you can eat. Oh, well, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Hi, Gilbert. Uh, yep, I am wearing your shirt and your hat because the Chiefs are playing and I'm wearing red. And I've got it's the home of Holmes hat. Is this get it? I think I'm the only one that gets it. Um, all right, where do we want to go from here? Um, let's do the Vikings for a second. 
And again, we're at the Gateway Lounge, West 41st Street in Sioux Falls. Uh, this is, it's awesome here on Sundays when you got like 10 different games going on at noon. This is really cool when there's one game on. And uh, they got the sound out up as you can hear. And uh, we've got a rare like Monday night premier game. Usually the game of the week since Sunday night football started 15 years ago, started at NBC 15 years ago has been the Sunday night game. And all of a sudden on a Monday night, we get this. I don't know what happened or who was doing the scheduling, but it's pretty cool. Um, and by the way, the you, you mentioned to Jen when she came in here, uh, she brought, uh, she came here with your uh, stepson, Arthur, her son. And she said, what should I get? What'd you tell her? The get French anything. fries are really good. But you said everything's good, right? It's true. I did say that. What but the she, French fries are so good. What did good. she get? Me and her both got the chisel and fries. How was the chisel? Excellent. Yes. And I got wings after the show last week and uh, a lot more meat on the bone than most restaurants I go to, especially bar, bar slash grills. Arthur had pizza to. bites. They appear to be a hit. Yes. So uh, and I'm going to try the chicken taco salad here in a moment. Um, it, okay. So the Vikings are 0-3. I don't think they're going to be the fifth team out of uh, what will turn out to be about 150 in the 30 years of the NFL's playoff format when it expanded to 12 teams back in 1990. Of course, now you can be one of 14 teams. Uh, that's not going to happen. I think if, if they'd have won yesterday, because Tennessee isn't a terrible team. Uh, if no, they're they had, solid. If they had won yesterday, I would have entertained the idea of, okay, the first two games were a complete disaster, but yeah. they kind of found a way to yeah. circle the wagons and you know get their shit together. Oh, and they started using now Justin they, Jefferson. Yeah, and they won. They won a game, and yeah. they're still you know one and two. You're still kind of staring down the barrel, but maybe you got a shot if you can string together. I mean, obviously the schedule gets stuff here, but I, I would at least been like, all right, I'm not ready to give up on them yet. But now at zero and three, I think everyone recognizes you're not going to make the playoffs. Right? Uh, does that mean you have to tank for whoever? I, I'm not really. I don't really buy into the whole tank thing. First of all, I don't think anyone ever really truly does it. Like, what do you do? Just sit Kirk Cousins, the guy you're paying $30 million a year? I mean, some would argue that might give him a better chance of winning, but... Um, That's the deal, is the guy... Okay, if you get rid, if you try to get rid of Kirk Cousins before June first of this year, that's thirty. That's thirty-one million dollars. He's not going anywhere. He's not going. If anywhere. you try to get rid of him before June first of next year, after next season, it's twenty million dollars. He's cabinet. not going anywhere unless you yeah. can trade him to a team that's going to take up like at least half the at least half of but, his. But salary. here's where, if you're a Vikings fan, you should at hope. At which point, you're still paying sixteen million dollars to not even have him on your team. Here, here's where you should still hope the Vikings lose if you're a Vikings fan, because so even though they don't. They, it's not that they don't need. They, yeah, they need a new quarterback. They're not going to have a new quarterback because of the of Cousins' situation. But guess what? Boy, couldn't you couldn't you use a top five tackle or guard? I mean, they have not, Drew Samia got right. body slammed and bulldozed all game long yesterday. Uh, couldn't? Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's just here's the. This is just why any any draft pick. Right. Like, but my point is, you don't want to go seven to nine this year. Go go two and fourteen. Sure, sure. I'm not gonna like be mad if they go three and thirteen. Are you gonna hope they? Are you hoping they lose? Not really. Okay. I mean, my guess is based on what I've seen, it kind of looks like you know six and ten is probably the high water mark at this point. That would require them to go six and seven the rest of the way. Does this look like a team to you that can go six and seven against their schedule? I mean, maybe they're gonna they're gonna be zero and five, right? I right. mean, well, they might be one and four because Houston's just Houston should be a lot better than they are, but right. they but yeah, so but, but they're gonna lose in Seattle. Yeah, they're gonna be I, one and four at best after five games, right? So even if they don't tank, even if they don't lose on purpose, whatever that even means, we're probably looking at five and eleven, something like that, anyway. Well, are you gonna get the number one pick, the number two pick at five and eleven? No, 
but let's not kid ourselves. Look at every, you know, and and you did make a good point. You know, it's not all about drafting whoever Kirk Cousins replacement is quarterback. This team could clearly go for a, you know, top shelf offensive lineman. God knows what else. Um, but if let's say you do start looking for a quarterback because Kirk Cousins has another shitty year, and you go, okay, we got two more years of this clown, and then we got to have somebody else ready to go. You know, the two quarterbacks we're watching tonight, arguably the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Lamar Jackson was taken with the 32nd pick. Patrick Mahomes was taken with what the 10th pick, I think. Yeah. So neither one of those guys was it. Did the team that got them have to tank to get them? And obviously, we don't even have to get into Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Drew Brees. I mean, Dak Prescott. Almost all the elite quarterbacks in the NFL were taken either late first round or not even in the first round. The idea that you're going to tank for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or whoever else. It's, it's just a, a, a false narrative. Well, it's not necessary. And here's another thing. They don't have to try. They don't have to tank. They don't have exactly, to try to lose. Exactly. The defense is, is, do you see that defense getting any better anytime soon? And why would they bring Daniil Hunter back at this point? Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're probably not. It probably won't happen. So, you got you know, you got inexperienced or terrible corners. You have a terrible offensive line. And Kirk Cousins, as we know, we talked about this last week, you can bitch and gripe about his contract all you want. He what is more a f- like his normal self this Sunday. Until it yeah. mattered at the end. He's not, he just. You can't put that last drive uh, on him. Well, there were three consecutive plays that were blown up before. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, you know, that you haven't come to expect him to not show up for those moments. But yeah. he literally did not have a chance on that drive. Yeah, I mean. The, the center snaps at 20 yards over his head. That's not his fault. That's true. But. And I know. Do I think it would? Do I think if the offensive line had blocked that he would have taken him down the field to win the game? Not really. Thank you. That's, really. that's it. And but by I'm the just way, saying, you, in this particular to, instance, he didn't screw and it up. All they needed was a field goal. And yes, you know, for those keeping track or who've been keeping track, both you and I were proponents of Kirk Cousins coming to the Vikings. And I thought he turned a page. He at least killed the narrative that he couldn't win the playoffs, even though he only played one playoff game in his life before. Mm-hmm. He was with such a shitty, dysfunctional franchise in Washington. It was still tough to tell how good he was because right. um, he lost all of his weapons before his last year in Washington. But look, whenever he was on a big stage late in a game, he usually lost, and he usually and he usually wasn't a reason why his team won if they did win. And that game in New Orleans, you're dealing with that crowd. It's a playoff game. You're an underdog. Your defense was playing lights out that day, but you had the big passes. You had the big moments. You had the pass to Thielen to set up the pass to Rudolph. But over time, overall, the guy's going to be, uh, you know, more often than not, really damn good in the first three quarters, although they've been terrible on their first drives uh, these first few weeks. Um, And he he was Mr. October last year. He's literally the best quarterback, best player in the – he was the NFC player of the month in October – but when it's crunch time, when it counts the most, outside of that one thing in New Orleans, you just you, you can't expect anybody to be Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. But wouldn't it be nice once or twice to see all he had to do against the Titans, who had given up plenty. I mean, the Titans, you know, the, the Vikings were moving on the Titans all day. It would be nice to see just drive thirty yards and kick a field goal. You're right. Well, the snap was the snap wasn't his fault, and you're in a you're in a low percentage situation. But at, most encouraging again, thing to come out of that game by okay. far right. was Justin Jefferson. Yes, of course. I mean, we're bearing the lead. Here. You know, the first two games here, you're kind of thinking. I mean, not saying that I blame Justin Jefferson or you know anything like that, but I made the Troy Williamson comparison last week. Not saying that I was already starting to think he was, but that that's what you don't want. Like you trade Stephon or Laquan Treadwell, right? But like you trade Stephon Diggs and draft a wide receiver with the the draft pick you're getting in return. That's literally what happened. Randy Moss, Troy Williamson. 
you, you know, this is if you don't get something out of Justin Jefferson, you're going down that same road. Yeah. Now we saw yesterday that's this guy is not Troy Williams. Oh, and that makes so, us all feel for real a heck of a lot better. Yes, because it, now all of a sudden, okay, maybe because what did I say on this? Like BC Johnson as your number two receiver, get the fuck out of here. Like I, now we have right. Justin Jefferson. That guy isn't your number two. Anymore. Which okay, should, which Adam should, Thielen has a running mate. Did that piss you off as a Vikings fan? You're like, why didn't Gary Kubiak and Mike Zimmer figure this out the first two weeks? No, because they didn't have a preseason this year. I mean, that's okay. something that maybe, I mean, I sure wish they had. Yeah. But I'm just saying like that might have been one of the factors. You know, this guy's a rookie. He's never played before. Yeah. And they don't have any preseason games to figure that out. That yeah. might have been a factor. But this is, again, why I think the Vikings are going to suck. Uh, they feel like a 4-12, and 5-11 team at best. 4-12 looks pretty likely. At but it's going to be fun to watch because of what we just said, because of Jefferson. Because the young that, secondary takes, that takes the pressure off Thielen. They're, they might, well, they're going to have to be in shootouts. It's going to be shootouts, but you saw by going to Jefferson and it working for a couple of drives, once Jefferson had like four catches and they're using him, what do you know? Dalvin Cook rips off a big run, right. and Adam Thielen finally has some space to catch a but touchdown. If you're going to be 4-12 and 12 this year, do you really want Dalvin Cook to carry the ball 250 times? Running Maybe backs have a shelf life, man. Might I don't not. know if I, you just signed him to this contract. Right. I mean, Dalvin Cook isn't going to be happy like, oh, I'll just sit on the bench and carry, or get seven carries a game because we don't want to you know, put too much wear on yeah. my tires in a meaningless season, but that's another potential issue that they're going to have yeah. to deal with. Okay, fine, but I think they have potential – uh, you know, even though Kirk Cousins doesn't usually come through when you absolutely need him, he's great in garbage time. He's great early in the game. Um, he had that one comeback against the Broncos last year. I remember that. Whatever. Um, oh, yeah. Look, it it could be a very fun four and twelve. It could be a very fun four and twelve for Justin Jefferson. What you can do with him and Thielen as a as the dynamic duo that Diggs and Thielen were. Uh, but they could lose enough that you don't have to worry about them tanking. They're just they're, they're, the defense is going to be so shitty. That they're going to have to score a lot of points. They're going to have to take a lot of chances. It could be a lot of fun to watch. The four and twelve could be a lot more fun than whatever Leslie Frazier's teams with Christian Ponder looked like when they were sucking. Well, so. I mean, I think you and I both subscribe to the idea that you know three and thirteen. If you're if you're not going to win a division, be a playoff contender, you'd rather watch a disaster, watch a car crash, than yes. a team that goes seven and nine or eight and eight. Well, but. Do I want to watch a blowout every week? Do I want to watch them get blown out and look like a bunch of sad, sad sacks of shit? Depends on how that plays out. Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes that could be it, fun. It would make, like, Patrick Royce's podcasts and columns a lot funnier, for that matter. But, um, And let, let me get to what I teased a lot earlier. So Nick Foles comes in for the Bears. They're 3-0. and How bad is Mitch Trubisky that they win their first two games and then they get behind in Atlanta? And, and their coach just doesn't trust him. And so you put in Nick Foles. Now, I, I, you know, I went back, I looked at stats, I compared Foles to Cousins the last two years, and we, we can go through them. They're kind of interesting. When the Vikings went 13-3, and got destroyed by the Eagles in that NFC title game, and it's open season for a quarterback, right? And there are a lot of Vikings fans who went at Case Keenum. You and I were both of the opinion of Mike Zimmer's opinion the whole season. And Mike Zimmer was not afraid to tell you, that guy's getting lucky. You know, he's going to lose us a game sometime. And it was Zimmer's defense that really lost in Philly, but the offense did them no favors, and neither did Case Keenum. We were like, this is a mirage. You don't want that guy as your future. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the first thing I said, if you're Rick Spielman, go after Drew Brees. It's probably not going to happen. He's locked into New Orleans, but he technically was a free agent. You try. And then I thought, 
my my idea was Nick Foles. Was it easy? Was it fool's gold? Perhaps, but he threw for like a thousand yards in the playoffs, lit up the Vikings, and then lit up the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And and the guy has something. He has the nickname Big. I can. Oh, don't roll your eyes. It's not. Yeah. Anyway, he's got. He showed it again yesterday I'm not in Atlanta. A Nick Foles fan. I don't think he's. The uh, okay. Well, I'll finish my point. And I'll let you make yours. He can win big games. He can rise to the moment in big moments. And he's compared to Cousins, compared to Keenum, they're both better than Keenum. They're not they're not they're not that different of a quarterback. They're not. I get it. And they're not very mobile. And it seems like if you have a mobile quarterback this day and age, you have a much better chance. Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers is mobile-ish enough, Russell Wilson. But they're not that different of a quarterback, but when you have a fourth quarter, Nick Foles has done it a few times now. I get it when you're doing it against Atlanta. Everybody does it against Atlanta. But is, was there, so there's no part of you that thinks things could have been a little bit better, especially in close games, and a lot of games in the NFL are close, if the Vikings got Nick Foles and you plug him into Diggs and Thielen and Cook and, all, and now Jefferson. Well, they wouldn't have Jefferson the, if, if they had Diggs, but um, they'd have one or the other. I mean, the question there, I guess, is assuming you're not going to pay Nick Foles $30 million, which they obviously wouldn't have had to, what do you spend that other leftover money on? Making a better offensive line? Probably. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you certainly – that's a conversation worth having. I mean, that's – I don't know. Could he have done – because because people could make the argument that Keenum could have done record-wise what Kirk Cousins has done the first couple of years. Yeah. Eight, seven, and one, and then whatever, ten and six and a playoff win. Right. Um, you could make the argument that Foles could do just as good, and Foles, again, probably better. He has, he has, he has, he has much more a clutch gene than Kirk Cousins does. That's all I'm saying. Maybe. I don't know. I guess Case Keenum has more of a clutch gene than Kirk Cousins because of the Minneapolis miracle. I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's, That was more of a Stephon Diggs right, uh, whiff on a defensive They're back. all to some degree. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I, I think the Vikings offensive line continues to be terrible, and that continues to be a problem. And it used to be you could kind of say, well, you know, they're just not addressing it. But the last couple drafts and in free agency, Ooh. they're trying to address it. Trying and they're just but, not really doing a very good job of fixing but they're, it. But they're whiffing. I mean, right. Bradbury seems like a real whiff. Right. Uh, it is nobody's listening anyway. John Gaskins, Matt Zimmer, Gateway Lounge. Ravens already up 3 0 on the Chiefs, who never seem to ever have a lead in any of these games. And they seem to play their best when they get down by double digits. So we'll see how that turns out. Packers, meanwhile. All right. You know, the, the Twins game tomorrow starts at 1. They oh, just made really? that announcement, I guess. What what channel is it on? Isn't it on ABC? It is on ABC. Well, that's good. The golf course I work at has like nothing. Then Wednesday for TV, at, but they Wednesday have ABC at noon on ESPN two. Thursdays okay. to be good. determined. I'll be working at a golf course that nobody will be playing because it'll be cold, and uh, I'll just watch the Twins. Yeah, well, great. What you got? Anything better? You got a great job for a one o'clock game. What do you yeah, care? Yeah, but like I'd rather been able to get all my work done during the day and watch the game at night. Okay. And drink. I'm sure like, you'll survive. I'm sure you'll yeah, find sure a way to, wants to listen to me whine get about up. How, get yeah. up earlier. Yeah. Get up earlier and finish your story earlier. Okay, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think the Packers? Uh, they, they feel for real, right? I mean, they can. I. I didn't get to see our almost any of the opener against the Vikings. Because I was covering the Sanford International yeah. that day. Well, you know the Vikings are and bad. I have, and, and I have not watched either of their games since then. For what it's worth, they scored 50-whatever it was. Well, 43 on the Vikings. You didn't see last night against the Saints? Okay. Well, yeah. It looks pretty good. Like, Aaron Rodgers didn't have Devontae Adams. 
and he looked like Aaron Rodgers, like for most of his career. Did he not like have Devontae Adams? Didn't. No, oh, Devontae right. Adams I did was see hurt. That he was, yeah. They utilized the tight end. Aaron Jones is great. I mean, they scored 37 on the Saints. Um, well, Mike McCarthy's not their coach anymore. Maybe that's what's going right for him. The, the, and it feels like there's a connection between Rodgers and LaFleur that we didn't see in year one. There was, And Collinsworth made a thing of it, and I saw it, and then I heard Collinsworth made a thing of it a few minutes later on the on basically the knockout punch touchdown pass. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looks, looks back and points, excitedly points at Matt LaFleur like, yeah, good call. All right, I like what you're calling here. And I think that could be a thing. Those two did not seem to get along great, even though they were 13-3 and three last year. Uh, which felt like a bit of a fraud, a bit of a mirage. Obviously, Tyree Kill just made a big catch. That's what you hear back here. Uh, but you, the Bears look like a challenger at three and zero. They technically are. I mean, three and zero is three and zero. Yeah. Yeah. I. It feels like the Packers have upgraded themselves, and they have a defense. And but you haven't seen much of them, so there's not much else you can say. Okay. I mean, but. Is there a big dog in the NFC? Is it the Cowboys? I mean, I know they had a I mean, nice comeback. It'd be win the 49ers if not everybody who matters hurts. Is hurt, yeah. Team. I know they beat the shit out of the Giants yesterday, but the Giants are a JV team right now. So Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's certainly seen. I mean, Tampa Bay, you know, how legit's Tampa Bay? Tom Brady looks like he can still play. Well, they have weapon. He has weapons all over the place, yeah. and their defense came on strong at the end of last year. Nobody talked about that because. People don't like to talk about defense very much. But uh, Todd Bowles is their coordinator. He was one of the best in the NFL before he became the Jets head coach, and he still is. And, uh, again, it was the Broncos, so consider the opponent. But the Bucks look at about as complete of a team. I love the, I love the Brady to the Tampa Bay thing, and I think Brady's a smart guy. He saw that roster. Touchdown, Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes. Place goes crazy. What do you know? People aren't going to hear this live. You don't need oh, to give the, the play. That's true. Play. They aren't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this really is moot because by the time they're listening to yeah, the game will be over. The game will be over. It's the play-by-play guy in me. I just yeah, had to mention that. Yes. Just trying to bring you back down to earth a little bit. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, it was nice to see. I'm not even <laughs> watching this. That's how fo- I'm focused on whatever the fuck I'm saying about uh, the Packers and the Bears. And uh, By the way, the Bears with Mr. Trubisky, so Foles is taking over there. Uh, another thing that happened in the Packers game, toward the end, uh, it was some point in the fourth quarter, a Packers touchdown to a tight end, which all of a sudden they have. Um, there, was a, there, there, there was what appeared to be a push-off by the tight end on the defensive back for the Saints. Wasn't called. You can't review pass interference anymore in the NFL. And in a rare moment of, an, of an, the analyst who is the officials analyst actually admitted on live broadcasting on the game of the week that nope they should have called it they should have called pass interference there i mean those guys usually support whatever the call is made they don't want to dump was, and it they was don't the dump on their who were victimized by it it was the saints who were victimized by oh it. no yes. yeah i know i feel so bad for them but it made but it made me think okay do we still wish that pass interference calls were reviewed because i think they should have been there was a there was a call that went in favor of the Bills against the Rams as the Rams were steaming back yesterday. That was a bullshit call against the Rams. It allowed the Bills to come back and win. I, I'm i the rare pro instant replay for a lot of things guy. Get it fucking right. You know, life went on, but anybody... It's, you know, it, 
especially in the fourth quarter, especially late in games. NFL games are close. The NFL is built for parity. A lot of games are within six points for the spreads, and the results are usually within a touchdown. These things, these things fucking matter. So I think there should still be PI review. What about you? Meh. Why not? I mean, I don't have a real strong feeling about it one way or the other. Why not? Now that's interesting. Why um, don't Why don't you? I, I just never have about any of the replay. You know, like not to to change the subject, but like I don't like the baseball replay. And one reason is like I understand the the desire to like get get everything correct, but like one of the a negative side effect of baseball having replay is now there's this like one of the, an unintended consequence. Like say there's a close play at second, yeah, or not even really a close. But guys trying to steal second. You've probably heard the phrase, because you're old enough to remember it, like, oh, the ball was there. There used to be this idea that if a guy was stealing second and the second baseman caught the ball and held his glove there and it was the ball was there 10 feet before the runner got there, okay, maybe he didn't actually tag him. Maybe he kind of did a swing and miss tag or whatever. But the umpire called him out. The runner got up and ran back to the dugout, didn't argue. The manager didn't argue because everyone would say, well, the ball was there by 20 feet. You're out. Well, now because of replay, these guys are going, well, hey, you never touched me. And so they're like, well, I guess we have to – like the umpire used to sort of have the discretion essentially to say like, I don't care if he tagged you or not. The ball was there 30 feet before you. You're out. That's gone now, and I don't think that's a good thing. I don't know if there's a, a, a an NFL equivalent of that, but I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that – we're reviewing potentially everything. And, and I, I'm not even trying to be that guy who's like, oh, I like the human element of the game. I usually don't because the human element usually just screws it up. Yeah. Um, but there but there is something to be said for, you know, like in the NBA, you know, last two minutes of the game, you don't call a foul when LeBron yeah. is going yeah. for, you know, yeah. you, you let the players play, right. you let them decide it. You know, yeah. like I want more of that and less review, replay, stoppages, video, that kind of stuff. I don't mind the, I, I, I'm the rare guy who doesn't mind the stoppages. I like watching. It. I think there's drama. I don't care from a time standpoint. It's not yeah. bad. I just, okay. I just, you know, let the players play. That's kind right. of my general mo. Fair enough. Hey, hey, a player that's not playing very well. This is this will dovetail into our Jackson Yotes discussion for the first time. Uh, nobody's listening anyway since they had the schedule release. But Carson Wentz is terrible. So the Eagles are bad. I mean, okay, Only two and one. When you talk about how Matt Nagy can't trust Mitch Trubisky. When the team is two and zero and trying to go three and zero, that's how bad Trubisky is. Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson in overtime would rather punt and tie than give Carson Wentz a chance to make a play. That's where that's where it has gotten to with Carson Wentz. He would rather punt and tie. You know they had a field goal, they had a penalty, and instead of a hail mary or another play with the quarterback with the ball in his hands, he punted to tie. Uh, you know, since the ACL tear in 2017, when he was arguably on an MVP season, and then Nick Foles took over for them and they won the Super Bowl, he hasn't been very good. And the analysts say he tries too hard, he puts too much on his back, whatever. Um, but it, it's tough to watch for those of us up here who are always rooting for the FCS guys and the Dakotas guys. Um, There's three of them on that team, yeah. Yeah, I mean... How much have you watched or seen of him? And does he feel like a lost cause, or is he just in a slump? Uh, I watched the Eagles a lot because I, you know, Dallas, Dallas Goddard, Goddard, Nate Gary mostly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I didn't think Carson Wentz being the second or third overall pick, whatever it was, was a stretch. I mean, the guy's, you know, a mountain of a man who can move and has an incredible cannon for an arm. I thought he was going to be successful, and when he started off successfully, and some people were surprised, I was kind of like. 
If you're surprised, that just means you don't know anything about FCS football. It's that good. But it seems like he's uh, regressing, and and I don't know why that is. Maybe we'll find out that you know he, he wasn't that good all along, or or I don't know, the, doesn't have the right weapons around him. I, I don't know. And I have no idea about ACL tears, but maybe who knows if they're he's... a team that has two awesome tight ends and maybe should invest more in wide receivers. I don't I don't know, um, but. It's, it's distressing, I think, if you're someone who is an Eagles fan or a North Dakota State fan who's rooting for Carson Wentz. I mean, they're already asking Doug Peterson, when are you going to bench this guy? And whenever Carson Wentz's next his rookie contract is up, you know, he's by no means a lock to get an extension, and I, I don't think the Eagles are ready to commit to him right now. Well, how do you, how do you think Dallas Goddard is feeling about him right now? How's Dallas know. doing? Well, he just are they hurt. getting it to Dallas enough? He got hurt last week, like in the first or yesterday, on like the first play of the game. And did not return, and it sounds like he might miss next week's game, so he could be out. Uh, but he was—he had a hundred-yard game already. He's—he's he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL already. He's going to have a long career. Dallas Goddard is absolutely. Um, I mean, he was like the in the top ten in every receiving stat last year when he's on the same team as Zach Ertz. Yeah. I mean, put at some point, either the Eagles are going to move on from Zach Ertz or they're going to trade Dallas Goddard for depth at other positions, he's going to go somewhere and be the number one tight end, and he's going to put up Travis Kelsey numbers wherever he goes. And again, he's that I mean, good. we don't need to waste a lot of time on this podcast for a lot of people who are listening from the Sioux Falls area. But, I mean, if you if you watched his games at South Dakota State, it's not you, you saw it. I mean, you just he, saw it. It was stu- He was the third tight end selected in that year's draft, and he absolutely should have been the first tight end pick. Yeah. But they didn't trust him because he was from South Dakota yes. State. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It was well, and of course, when you're watching at South Dakota State, you're just like, why didn't any division? Right. Why didn't any FBS teams right. look at this guy? Right. Why didn't North? Did right. North Dakota State even look at him? No, nobody. Off- I mean, I it mean, was, yeah. he was going to go to Northern Northern State. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and by the way, speaking of North Dakota State, Jabril Cox goes into LSU. And uh, look, the story of the game, LSU, was uh, Mike Leach in Mississippi State immediately uh, goes and beats the defending national champ in their home stadium. Between that and Texas Tech, yeah, Texas versus Texas Tech, yeah. at least there were finally some great college yeah, football were. games on Saturday. Uh, at First one, couple of weeks were kind of a letdown. This week was... That was nice to see. My friend Coyote Eric got all huffy and puffy and pissy, as people from around here do who watch their FCS football, and then when something related to it goes onto a national stage and somebody's uh, – the classic is, of course, mistaking South Dakota State for San Diego State. But somebody mentioned that uh, North Dakota State was – Gary Danielson must have – I didn't hear it. Must have accidentally said North Dakota State was in Division Three. So naturally our friends who are Coyote fans or Bison fans are all over that. But he did also mention that he thinks Danielson, been a college football analyst for like 35 years, he's the main guy on the SEC games for 20 years. He said Jamil Crox is probably the fastest guy in LSU's defense. Think about that. A guy who was playing well, in North Dakota at State. quarterback, I believe, yeah. coming out of high school. He's the fastest guy on LSU's defense. Uh, and so to, to think like that guy was playing, I remember him playing in the Dakota Dome. And making life absolutely miserable for USD in a game a couple years ago that I was at. It's just well, it's pretty mind-blowing. Chris Kleiman and Kansas State beat Oklahoma on yeah. Saturday. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing should surprise you coming out of the North Dakota State program. I also heard it was funny. Uh, I was listening to a sport morning show in Des Moines. Yes, a sports morning show in Des Moines, Iowa. Partly because the host was a guy who covered Husker football when I was growing up. And I, I love him. He's a funny guy, Travis Justice. KXNO Morning Rush. Um but his co-host was talking about how his co-host was a Notre Dame fan, and he doesn't want uh, 
he he wants Notre Dame to not be in the ACC, and he wants Notre Dame to keep playing Stanford every year and Army and Navy, which I don't know why you want to keep seeing them play Army and Navy and USC, uh, because he doesn't want Notre Dame to ever play a. He just he, he used the first lower level team he could think of. I just don't want to. I just don't want Notre Dame to be playing North Dakota State. <laughs> that's just you know that's that's don't what worry, everybody they won't. that's what everybody else does. They won't because like, they're afraid to. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Happened, but he was saying it as a, like a derogatory tor- term. Yeah, I know. Because it's still because people still some people still just don't know. All right. Um, what did you make of the Jacks and Yotes football schedules now that they have been released? Well, I mean, there wasn't much to make of it. It's you know no. It's just the conference games. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea that they're gonna start it because it, you know I didn't know exactly how they're gonna do it on the calendar, and what they're doing is it starts in mid February and ends in early April. Yeah. That is gonna take a while just to get your head around that. Yeah. The calendar looking like that. Well, we all know that. Uh, mid-February in South Dakota can be literally the worst time of year for yep. weather. I mean, we could be looking at 20 below and feet of snow. Yeah. So they're doing the right thing by having the early games be in the, the stadiums that have domes, uh, trying to go southern with, like, Indiana State or Missouri State, the few teams in the league that are at all to the south. And then the, you know, basically the Jacks and some of those other teams get to play home games later. Um, it's just that the thing that I keep coming back to is assuming this happens, and I think it will. We've been wrong about that before. But assuming this happens, the spring is going to be crazy. You're talking about having SDSU versus NDSU in April where the NCAA tournament could be going on. And which one, that's going to be the Fargo Dome, right? Yeah. Yep, April 3rd at North Dakota State. Well, that'd be, that's usually Final Four weekend. Yeah. Uh, well, basketball. and then you have the regular season going on during the Summit League tournament in March. Uh, I, yeah. I was at a at Hardwood Field on Friday covering high school football, and Mark Miley made the comment jokingly to me that, oh, April 3rd, uh, Jackson Bison, you know, that's the same night of the Dakota Relays. Which one are you going to be covering? And, of course, I laughed right in his face, but that is kind of funny. I <laughs> uh, think that, oh, shit, that's another thing that's going yeah. on that weekend, you know, yeah. and that we could have potentially all these spring sports, winter sports, yeah. and then, oh, by the way, college football on top it's of gonna it. It's going to be great. There should be a local sports talk show on the air three hours a day <laughs> for stuff like that at that time of year. Um, all right. And so you're at Howardwood Field, and I know you were covering Washington and Rapid City Stevens. But the former Washington coach, your uncle, Kim Nelson, was over at Harrisburg, a game I was doing on KWSN. And stupid fucking idiot me, I knew he had 295 wins coming into the season. Uh, Obviously, last year he surpassed Steve Keeter as the all-time wins leader in South Dakota history. There's controversy to that because he spent five years in I don't think it should count. And I say that as his former player and nephew, but no. All right. I want to circle back to that. I hope he hangs on long enough that he can... Pass yeah. him for wins in South Dakota. But I forgot that that was his, that that three hundred was hanging in the balance, and then yeah. I cracked open Brian Hankins' story, and I'm like, oh, Hankins' story, oopsie daisy. But um, look, you hit a milestone at your whether whether it should count or not for South Dakota. That's three hundred wins. By the way, in a Dinah, I know I don't know if you, you would probably know better than I do. Not that it really matters at this point. It was twelve years ago. Was he forced out, or did he just he just no, got tired of it? When when Brent because he was like twenty nine and twenty five or something like he that. He had a good. He did well there. When Brent DeBoer quit at Roosevelt, yeah. he was ready to come back to Sioux Falls. But he was in a Dyna, Minnesota, which, by the way, 
It stands for Every Day I Need Attention. It's a really rich suburb, mm-hmm. and you're in probably the same. I think they're in the same place as Mike Eden Tyson's Prairie. Mike kid was his quarterback one year. But um, you're yeah. playing. These are you're and playing. Another one of his quarterbacks was Anders Lee, who's now a NHL veteran uh, player. That was his quarterback at Edina. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's the highest level of football in Minnesota. I think so, yeah. It's like six A. And it's like, and and they're like in the rich kid conference with Eden Prairie and all these just behemoths. Yep. So 29 and 25 or whatever he was is pretty good. He gave it a run. He wanted to, I think that's probably why he did it. He just wanted to see how he could do in like really, really big league football. And you come back to South Dakota where basically if you have a top five team, you're a state, you know, I mean, it's it's not, you should be a state state contender every year. It's much different now than it was when he was at Washington and. Yeah. Sioux Falls didn't dominate everything, and there weren't as many classes. And yeah, it's, it's yeah, a whole new world now. Now here's the double-edged sword: being a coach at Roosevelt or Washington or Lincoln, even Lincoln now, or O'Gorm, even O'Gorman, which obviously is a smaller school, but is always up there. Yes, you're going to be in this. You're almost automatically in the state semifinals every year. At the same time, there's a lot of okay, so it's a lot easier to win a state title, but it's really hard to win a state title because those top four or five teams are all really super freaking good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Kim's won one state title, and it was nine years ago. He probably has his best team he's ever had. Is this his best team he's ever had? Uh, I would have liked to see he's you know when Taryn Christian was there and got hurt, yeah, and then uh, they had a team a couple years after that. I don't remember who was the quarterback, but. They had a couple really, really great teams that just everyone got hurt, and it's like, well, that okay. would have been fun. Uh, but assuming they stay healthy, yeah, this is this one's way up there. They've never – let's put it this way. I don't think they've ever been this head and shoulders better than the rest of the field. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, I mean, they, 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 they have to win this year. I, mean, there's, I would like to see Kim win another one, to be – you know, they, potentially the all-time winningest coach in the state and only have one state title. Yeah. I mean, he's, at least he's got one. It is, took him a long time to get that one. You've been around the circles a lot more than I have. Is there any knock on him? No one would say it publicly. Is there any knock on him for not winning more than one state uh, title? I think there is from some people. Again, I, I think there's if you've been paying close enough attention, you know that, uh, you know, again, Taron Christian, arguably the best player in Roosevelt history, did not get to finish his high school career because he was hurt. Yeah. That that you kind of give them a mulligan on that. They probably would have won it that year. Yeah. You know, and again, like I said, I can't remember what year it was, but I know there was another one in between that one and recently where injuries kind of that that's been a, a big problem. They had a lot of injuries. I would have liked to see him win one at Washington. He got close a couple times, never yes. did. Yes. Um, but to, anyway, I mean, I think his legacy is clearly secure. He's got that state title. He's potentially gonna. He's already, according to one metric, the winningest coach of all time. It doesn't isn't gonna take him long before it can be undisputed. You don't have the Minnesota wins. And, and by the it. way, in the dome, uh, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, they were playing Washington when Washington had a dynasty going and was a big favorite. I mean, I remember and they almost beat him. Yeah, uh, well, going two point conversion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tom Osborne, eighty three Orange Bowl, Miami. Uh, went for two, didn't get it. If he gets that, now he has two state titles, and that's that's and that an incre- one would have been a huge, that's an incredible yeah. victory. Yeah. So I did a poll question: Who's the best coach in South Dakota high school football history? And I don't love these, but I did, I did, I did it myself anyway. Because Kim's the wins leader, whether you like it, whether people think it's legit or not, because he spent like four years in Minnesota, but he is the wins leader. And uh, anyway, I, I did Kim Nelson, Steve Keeter, who surpassed Max Hawk, so Max up there as well. Max won 10 state titles, but only three in the playoff era. Mm-hmm. Not his fault that they didn't have the playoffs right. back then, but they didn't. Um, and that's back when Washington was playing teams in Iowa, and it just was kind of, you know, all over the place. They finally got playoffs, and Max won three of them. But Keeter won like six or seven. Mm-hmm. Kim's only won one. So anyway, Keeter wins the poll. 20 votes for what it's worth, but 42%. <laughs> Uh, Max Hawk 26, Kim 16, and I'm just guessing that's because 
Kim only has one state title. Um, so, but what? The, the more, much more importantly than this. I mean, you, you don't think it should matter just because you should think this, the wins record. Uh, should be for against South if you, Dakota if you're teams you're only. You're saying you're the winningest coach in, in South Dakota history. Like, what if he had 50 wins in South Dakota and 250 yeah. in Minnesota? Would you say is the winningest coach in South Dakota? Fair history? point. Uh, I, I would say I would say this that he had 20. Uh, most of it's been in South Dakota, and he might you know he might coach long enough to where he you know, like you can subtract his wins from yeah. Minnesota and it'd be the He's most. Far, it can't be far away. Right and. Uh, but like I said, he that's an extremely competitive big boy place he coached in Minnesota, and he won more than he lost there. Right. So I think we all that know shouldn't he's, a, into he's, it. he's a fucking great coach. Yeah. Now, you got to play for him, uh, and now you've been covering him. What What is uh, – and we're, we're wrapping things up. What I really wanted to get to is what the essence – what is the essence of Kim Nelson? Why is he such a good coach? Why has he um, won so much? It, you know, I, I bet the answer is different today than it was when I played for him. You know that that was 25 years ago. Yep, at Washington High School. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I would say he's always been a very good motivator. Um, he's a guy who lets his players be themselves. You know, um, he they got a lot of attention recently for uh, you know having players uh, kneel for the national anthem, and there were you know people that were mad about it. There were people that were happy about it. I don't want to you know blame Kim or take credit away from Kim, I'm guessing he didn't have a whole lot to do with that. He's the kind of guy who's like, I let my players be who they are. If that's what they want to do, they can do it. I'm not going to tell them one way or the other. That to me, you know, is somewhat the essence of Kim. He'll support his guys, uh, whatever they're like. Um, from a more X's and O's standpoint, he's always been a modern, uh, ahead of the curve sort of guy. You know, when I was in high school, he was like essentially the first court or first coach who liked to throw the football. You know, but it's funny. I a couple of years ago, I dug up. Uh, I was cleaning out my basement, and uh, I found our our playbook from like my junior year okay. or something. And I looked at it. and It was funny. And I I brought it with me to like our next family gathering or whatever that I saw him at, and showed it to him. And he he kind of laughed. We were looking at it together, and we were he was a gr just saying how like how primitive it is compared to what they do now. But in 1995. It seemed like it was this cutting edge, like holy cow! Was he was, doing like spreads? Yeah, I mean, not as much as what we what we think of the word spread to mean today. Like four but like shotgun, three, four wide receivers, shotgun motion. Uh, no, but but occasionally. Okay. You know, so I mean, it was again, but again, primitive now in yeah. 1994, 95, right. 96. It was like, geez, look at these guys. Yeah. They're running trips, you know, yeah. like, and it's not even third and thirty, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. And uh, as as he has advanced through it. Uh, he's always, you know, stu he's the kind of guy who, you know, that Thursday night maction on ESPN, he's watching that shit because he's looking for, you know, oh. some kind of thing. You know, he's usually got college coaches who he's like, I like what that guy does. And yeah. he borrows yeah. from them liberally and tries to translate it to his kids. And you watch one of their games. I mean, it's not it, it, it's not a primitive. It, it's a college style offense. And I know he's had many opportunities to coach at the college level. And I, frankly, I think the only reason he never took it is because he didn't want to have to go on the road and recruit. I don't blame him one bit. But that goes to show you that what he has done has got caught the attention of college coaches. They see yeah. the system he runs and goes, that yes. guy could coach college okay. football. Okay. Do you think any part of him not winning more is, especially like in semifinals, to get the, the, the Dome is not enough power football in oh, this I crappy think, weather? I think he would even acknowledge that himself. I mean, it, but some of that is, you know, the personnel that you deal with, that you have too. Yeah. You know, if you don't have well, that guy, you don't have that guy. And he mentioned after a uh, 42 nothing win at Rapid City Stevens, that was the score at halftime a week ago, 
he wants to run the ball more and better because when he gets to November, he, they've got to do it, and they, they emphasized it a little bit more. <laughs> he says that every year in <laughs> September and October, but then when the time comes, he really, really likes throwing the football. Well, and so. when you've got a kid like Tyler Frederick. Or, Tyler uh, Feldkamp. T- Tyler Feldkamp, who, like, you know, is the fastest guy in the state. It's kind of – you're kind of foolish not to get him the ball as much as you can. And like you said, you know, yeah. they had, uh, you know, Taron Christian. and Yeah. And, uh, uh, and this Taylor Ashley. Have you yeah. seen him yet? I haven't seen him play, but I know wow. who he is. I, I mean, I knew him when he was 10 years old. It's, he was Sean Teva Ashley's right. little brother. It's tough to gauge how good he really is, but as a sophomore, he's 5-0, and he's lighting the world on fire, but he's got a college offensive line, and he's got – Feldkamp, who might be the best player in the state. Uh, but, man, he looks poised, and he's awesome. We'll we'll talk about that more down the road. I'll wrap this up about Kim and the podcast. Is He seems the antithesis of, your, of whatever Hollywood usually depicts as your typical football coach slash high school football coach. You know what I mean? He avoids he's, – and he's not doing it intentionally, but he avoids and escapes every cliche about a football coach – you could, this is my impression from the outside. He's a real person. He talks in real terms. Yeah. He doesn't talk in cliches. Um, he's very. He's casual. I saw the quotes that Brian had from some of his players like Feltcamp who just said he treats everybody the same. He knows how to relate to kids. Um, and like the most Kim, I think the most Kim thing I could think of in covering him for seven years is ESPN.com wanted to do this big story uh, from Liz Merrill, who's like the Dan Jenkins Sports Writer of the Year for the nation. Really good sports writer. And I knew her years ago when she was with the World Herald and I was in college at Nebraska. She, she approached me. She wanted to do this story on states in America that are playing high school football despite the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, especially in South Dakota, despite the fact that we're spiking after Sturgis. And, I, and she asked me for coaches to talk to. And I said, Kim Nelson. I mean, he said in April he was extremely emotional talking... Uh, it's another Chiefs touchdown. Great. I, I got to watch this game, get this over with. Uh, I told her you should talk to Kim Nelson because he had an extremely passionate, heartfelt interview on my talk show in Sioux Falls about how he doesn't want a, a kid to get sick and die on his watch. He don't want to play football anytime soon. And his mind has changed since then. But I was like, he'll be good because he doesn't, he, he's, he'll be good. And he'll talk freely and uh, intelligently. And anyway, I told him that he had uh, ESPN.com writer doing this national story that wanted to call him. And uh, and I just told him, hey, don't worry about She's going to do a good job. She's going to be fair to you. Don't worry about any... Don't worry about getting misquoted or put in a bad light or anything. She's a great reporter. And he and he, his only response to me after, I to, after he got permission from the administration, he had to get permission from the administration. So I was a liaison between him and Liz. And he, he, he told me, okay, I'll do it. And I said, okay, don't worry about a thing. Be honest, be open. She's a good, fair reporter. Land he, the plane, John. He said, good, I'm sure I'll bore her to death. <laughs> that was that was what he said. That's, you know, that's Kim. I think he was, like what you said about, um, you know, not the, the stereotype of what Hollywood or whatever depicts as a coach i think most of the coaches we have today that is the case yeah but i think in a lot of ways that's where kim was a little bit ahead of his time yeah you know what what does the phrase players coach even mean anymore i don't know but i know as a kid you know coming up knowing i was going to someday play for him yeah then playing for him then seeing what it was like you know from this vantage point 
you know, post playing for him, um, I always appreciated the fact that he was never uh, playing a part. You yeah. know, like, oh, I'm a coach. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to yell. I'm supposed to bark. I'm supposed to make you run laps, all that kind of stuff. Like, he never did any of that, you know, discipline for discipline's sake or, yeah. I mean, he was, like you said, he was a person. He was himself. And I love to always tell some of his players that his favorite sport is really baseball because the football guys get really pissed when they hear that. <laughs> Even though it's true, baseball is his favorite sport. Really? I, he might argue okay. with that now, but he used to tell me that anyway. Okay. What, a lot of times, it, it, we don't get to do it as much anymore just because we're busy with our lo- wives and families. But we used to get together often and, and uh, you know, have a few beers and just talk and talk and talk. He's a good dude, right? And we'd he's talk like, as much, at least my uncle. But yeah, I, mean, like, I know he is. But, but, and we, but I mean, we would talk about baseball as much as football. And he would just yeah. love to talk about his baseball playing days and how much he missed playing. And he still plays some form of yeah. old-timer amateur baseball in his yeah. 60s now and yeah. Uh, but yeah, like he was he was that guy before it was considered standard to yeah. be that kind of guy. And if, if if there's any sort of legacy that he has, I think that's what it is in that he kind of changed what a football coach is and is expected to be in this area. And he's not dead. He probably will win the state title this year. And if he's listening, uh, he's not dead. But it, this gives us a chance to talk about him, and I'm glad he gets that chance. He deserves it. Uh, and, and you're right, by the way. Chad Statham, uh, his replacement, Ryan Evans at Washington, I'm thinking Jared Fredenberg, Jason Poppinger, uh, Poppin- all these Jack guys, Garrow, are, whatever yeah, players, yeah. coaches, these are all like yeah. really good dudes. We're pretty lucky around here. We Care deal about with their some players. pretty good dudes. Yeah. All right. How do you think that went? Besides too long, how do you think that went? Too long. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, our spouses are looking at us like, are you ever going to stop? Are you ever going to yeah, shut up? Yeah. And uh, the answer is yes. We're about to do so now. So three of them are in the books. I can't seem to find a good way to land the plane for the podcast. So why don't you? Touchdown, Ravens! Are you cheering against the Chiefs already because they won the Super Bowl? No, nah, I don't care. Okay. Uh, for Matt's- I thought that might be a good way to end the show. Touchdown, Ravens! All right. We'll talk to you next week on Nobody's Listening Anyway. Thanks to the Gateway Lounge and their awesome food and their awesome staff on West 41st Street in Sioux Falls, as always. Best place to go on Sunday afternoons when all the games are going on or Sunday night and Monday nights for the main oh events. Oh, my God. Like we Stop have talking. All right. <laughs> Where are you at?